Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us grace tonight to hear these words of Job, to know the hope of Job. But much more than that, that we would know you, our rock and our redeemer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In so many ways, our funeral service in the Church of Ireland is built on the words that we find in the book of Job. You might have recognised the words from chapter 14 that we heard in our reading just now. Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. And when you think of it, those words are entirely appropriate for a funeral service. They were uttered by a mourner at a wake. Job is sitting on the ash heap. He's mourning the loss of his ten children, as well as his wealth and his health, in those quick successive blows. And those words sum up so perfectly what life and death is like in this world. Few days full of trouble. Like a flower that blossoms and then dies. They sum up life and death. And especially... When we gather at a funeral, those words resonate. No matter how long the deceased had survived. Life is short and hard. Words of pain. Words of mourning. Words from the mouth of Job. But they're not the only words from the mouth of Job that we hear at a funeral. And if those words from chapter 14 are words of realism and words of mourning, the other words are entirely different in form. They are words of hope, words of confidence, words of faith. Now it's not that one set of words trump the other. It's not that we have to choose one set or the other. But it's important that we don't just have those words of realism. Those words of finality. Especially at a funeral. We also need those words of hope. But it's not just at a funeral we need those words. It's every day in many different situations when suffering comes our way. That we need those words of hope. And even back in chapter 13, we hear those remarkable words from the lips of Job. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. 
yet I will argue my ways to his face. So how could Job, enduring such unbelievable suffering, keep holding on to hope? Why was he still hoping in God, even if God were to slay him? That's what we discover tonight as we focus in on chapter 19. Now as we've already seen in the series, after Job's lament of chapter 3, Job's three friends came and have been taking it in turns to answer him and to argue with him. Last week we listened into their words, they're useless, they're uncomforting, they're accusing words. And their basic premise was that you get what you deserve, you sow what you reap. So if Job was suffering so badly, then he must have sinned really badly to deserve it. Now Job continuously says that he's blameless, says that there's nothing that he has done to deserve this. But to have heard that, that once, that that you know, that opinion that You really deserve this. You must repent. To have heard that once would have been hard enough. But to have heard it time after time after time. Well he's getting fed up with it. By chapter 19 he has had five of these speeches. And they're really getting to him. No wonder he bursts into chapter 19 uh, with those words. Verse 2. How long will you torment me and break me in pieces with words? Whoever said that sticks and stones can break my bones but names can never harm me. These words, these accusations have power to break Job in pieces. And what follows in chapter 19 is the full weight of what everyone has been doing to Job. This is the full extent of his suffering. What his friends have done, what his God has done, what his family has done. So let's look at each one briefly. His friends, well... They have cast reproach upon him, verse 3. These ten times you have cast reproach upon me. Are you not ashamed to wrong me? They have magnified themselves against him. They've bigged themselves up against this terrible man Job and his terrible sins. They're making themselves look good compared to him. But the main thrust in this chapter is what God has done. That comes from verse 6. Know then that God has put me in the wrong and closed his net about me. God has caught me in his net. There's no escape. There's nowhere to turn. Job calls for help and Calls out against violence, but there's no answer, there's no justice, there's no one to come to help. And look at how, at verses 8 
down to verse, verse 13. How they all begin. He. His. All of these are God's acts. What God has done. He has walled up my way. So that I cannot pass. He has set darkness upon my paths. Like those Roadrunner cartoons where while a coyote breaks up the tunnel. There's no way through. There's no escape. There's no that way to turn. There's, he has put darkness on my paths. Job is stuck. He can't advance. He can't see a way out. He can't see a way through. Verse 9. He has stripped from me my glory and taken the crown from my head. Remember how we saw in Job chapter 1 how wealthy Job was. He had the ten children. He had the, well, I can't even remember, the thousands of camels and um, all the livestock that he had. All gone. Job's power and prestige has gone. It's not so much the Rags to riches story, it's riches to rags. But there's more. Verse 10, he breaks me down on every side. And I am gone, and my hope has he pulled up like a tree. Nearly saw that some trees uprooted today in the storm. Those big winds, how serious to have hope, that deep-rooted hope like a tree. Pulled up. Taken out. Verse 11. He has kindled his wrath against me. And counts me as his adversary. He has. uh, His troops come on together. They have cast up their siege ramp against me. And encamp round my tent. Job is surrounded by this. Hostile army. No one can get in. No one can get out. No one can come near to help him. And this leads us from what God has done to what his family has done. Because he attributes it to God as well. Verse 13. He has put my brothers far from me. And those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. Job is completely isolated. He's cut off. He's estranged. No one wants to know. No one answers their phone. No one texts him. No one writes on his Facebook. Brothers, relatives, close friends, guests, maidservants, wife, siblings. Doesn't matter. They've all cut him off. Everyone... Has abandoned him. No one cares. No one helps. Even. At verse 18. Even young children despise me. When I rise they talk about me. This was a culture of. Respect for elders. And yet Job says. It's, it's that fear that if you leave a room first. People will start talking about you. And it's even the wee kids doing that. They don't care. It's as if Job is a non-person. That he has ceased to exist. He's just a laughing stock. 
verses 20 to 22, sum up his suffering at this low point. He says, My bones stick to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. That's where that saying comes from. One of many sayings that we find in the Bible. And then he says, Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O you my friends. For the hand of God has touched me. Why do you, like God, pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? It's bad enough that God has done all this, but for his friends to have turned against him as well, well, that's, that's even worse. What a haunting cry. Abandoned by everyone. Left all alone. And his last three friends are no help. But remember that we know more than Job does. We had the glimpse behind the curtain in chapters 1 and 2. We had access to the heavenly throne room. We heard the conversation that Job and his friends haven't heard. You see who Job attributes it to in verse 21 at the top of the page. For the hand of God has touched me. And while that was what Satan wanted in chapter 1. Satan says stretch out your hand and touch all he has. And again in chapter 2 he says to God stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh. But both times God said to Satan. Behold, all that he has is in your hand. And chapter 2, Behold, all, sorry, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. Job thinks it is God doing this smiting. But it's the Satan. It is Satan's hand which has afflicted him. But to get to a place which is so low, so isolated, so lonely, Job's next words are so amazing. Even in the lowest of places, even in the darkest of times, Job is holding on to hope. So let's look at them to find the reason for his hope. Now, isn't verse 23 quite ironic? He says, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, they were. That's why we're reading them tonight. That's why we're able to hear. Uh, what he said so many thousands of years later. But then Job thinks that a book wouldn't be permanent enough. So then he says, Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. He wants them uh, engraved like a monument, engraved for 
forever. These are important words. Words that Job wants preserved. You see, for all Job knows, these could be his last. He doesn't want these three friends to be the ones to define his legacy, to to write his headstone, to um, write the obituary that goes in the local paper. Yeah, well, you know, Job, you know, he was a good man for a while, but then he did something terrible and suffered for it. And that's how he's remembered. He doesn't want the people already listed in the chapter to spread their rumours of him. His friends, his employees, his family. He wants his own words to be read and preserved and held on to. So what does he want recorded? What is so precious that he wants them written down in a book or engraved on a rock? For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. Notice that this is something Job knows this isn't an uncertain guess well you know it might be like this but it might not be this isn't wishful thinking I wish it was like this I really do but the odds are against it this isn't a last gasp gamble I no. What does he know? I know my Redeemer lives. The Redeemer in the Bible is the family kinsman, the one who buys back people from slavery, the one who rescues relatives from poverty. If you've read the book of Ruth, you'll know that Boaz was her kinsman redeemer. That Boaz was the one who bought back the property of Ruth's family. And Job is certain that he has a redeemer. But more than that, that my redeemer lives. That he lives, that he is alive, that he is active, that he will act. And he says, at the last, he will stand on the earth. The Redeemer will endure to the very end. But look at what Job says about himself. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. 
Now remembering that Job is sitting, scraping himself with broken pottery, covered from head to toe with those terrible sores. But Job doesn't just mean, you know, that he's looking forward to a week or two's time when, you know, the ointment has worked and he's so much better. He's looking forward to a time after death. He says, my Redeemer will stand, and so will I. I will see him face to face in my own flesh. And just to make absolutely certain, uh, to make sure that we don't miss it, he says, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. It'll be me. Most definitely me, seeing my Redeemer. So far back in the Old Testament, so far back before Christ, Job catches a hold of the hope of the resurrection. He doesn't know every detail. He hasn't got the fuller picture we enjoy this side of the cross and the Easter the first Easter. But he knows enough. He knows that a living Redeemer will cause him to stand face to face with God through resurrection. And he is holding on to that hope. How much fuller we can claim Job's words. Jesus is our Redeemer, the one who died but was raised to life. My Redeemer lives. And because he lives, no I'm not going to break into that Gaither song just in case you were expecting it, but because he lives, we too will live. We can, in the words of that song, face the future. As Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. My Redeemer lives. In the worst of days... Job was able to hold on to hope because he held on to the truth about his Redeemer. The one who would buy him back. The one who would rescue him from slavery. The one who would bring restoration. How amazing that he grasped this before the cross. Before so many of the prophecies of the cross were written or spoken. Let his words be your words. Let his hope be your hope. Except if his was in black and white, ours is in full technicolor made certain 
through Jesus' death and resurrection. I know that my Redeemer lives. These are the words of Job, the words of hope, the words spoken at every funeral. Words of comfort and reassurance. Words pointing us to the future with confidence as we trust in the Lord Jesus, our Redeemer. I know that my Redeemer lives. And because he lives, we too will live. Words of hope for a funeral, but words not just for funeral days. Words for every day of suffering. Let's pray. Lord God, our Redeemer, we pray that you would write your word deep in our hearts tonight. That we would know your comfort. That we would know your hope. And we pray this through Christ our Redeemer. Amen.